There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Now it's been a while since we've had a full show. We have had a few technical issues trying to get the show out on the air and run out of time in May to be able to do this. So here we are. So I'm going to turn up the fader and I should have my regular co-host John Berger on the line. How are you doing, sir? You're listening to WTGP, your source for science fact and science fiction. I have no idea why I decided to do that, but what the hell? The old school radio station sign-in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? That's awesome. <laughs> You know, and you have to get the raspy voice in there, too. Yeah, like, um, oh, what was that DJ's name? Was it Howling Wolf? No, Wolfman Jack sounded a bit more like this. Ow! Yeah, we had a guy, he was an American guy that used to work on the, the British networks, and his name was Emperor Roscoe. He had a very similar voice. He used to call himself the Yank That Can Crank. The Yank That Can Crank, coming to you live. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't officially do voiceover work, but, you know, if anybody needs that kind of voiceover, uh, feel free to contact me. <laughs> I'm good. You've probably heard some of John's stuff in the past, especially when he does the toodles, actually. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what you mean. I, yeah, you know, got to have some fun. Actually, my second job, I, I started with a new guy, a temporary guy. He's in just doing some work until he has to go back to college. And uh, the first night that we actually seriously chatted, he even said, do you do radio or voiceover work? Because you got the voice for it. It's like, well, thank you, but no. As long as you didn't say you've got the face for it, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, even, made, I even said that joke. I was like, thank you for not saying that I've got a face for radio. <laughs> I knew it would catch you off guard, so. Because <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? No. To, to be honest with you, when I turn up that fader and ask you how you're doing, I never know what's going to come next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to make up a laundry list of, okay, last episode I did this, and so now i got to do this. So, uh, apart from doing the, the old occasional voices at work, what else you been up to? Doing my thing, you know, w- watching the... Uh... Watching the country act stupid and allow the COVID-19 cases to rise once again. You know, that's nothing major, you know. (sighs) Wear a damn mask. Really, it's not a loss of civil liberties to wear a damn piece of cloth on your face. I I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know if it's a combination of people don't like being told they have to, or if it's something ingrained in us, like images of the Old West, and we don't want to come across like bandits. I don't know. I don't know what it is. but I, I think it's probably more to the point of being told what to do. So I think our government should do this kind of thing is actually make a suggestion that makes it sound like it was their idea and not the government's yeah. idea. <laughs> I don't know. It's so stupid. And no one said you had to wear it all the time that you're outside of your house. Put it on before you go into whatever business you're going to shop in. Mm-hmm. Do your thing. Take it off when you come out. Grow up. What the hell? I mean, as, as I mentioned to you off the air here now, we have to mandatory wear a uh, mask when you're on public transport. Well, that makes sense. You're in close proximity to people. As soon as I get off the bus or the train, I take it off. Yeah. 
I mean, I didn't like having to wear the thing either. I'm asthmatic, so I can have issues breathing at times. And, you know, I was like, all right, fine, I'll just deal with it. I'll make sure that I have my inhaler with me. But mine is Darth Vader, and I've learned to have fun with it. You, you don't have to get a special apparatus to do the breathing. You, you can automatically yeah, really. do it. If I'm breathing heavy, it sounds like it. But because of, you know, my voice is down in the, the lower ranges, it doesn't take much to actually have it sound like Vader either. <laughs> so I, I had one guy at uh, my second job. He was walking around, and he had a t-shirt that said, I find your lack of ammunition disturbing. Clear reference. And I simply walked up to him, and I said, Well, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Once he caught on to what I was doing, he just said, My man! And fist bump. <laughs> so, you know, we had a big laugh on that one. A guy was wearing a Star Wars t-shirt the other day, and I did the same thing. Walked up to him, and he I find your lack of faith disturbing. And he just laughed, and was like, Yes! You know, and just about every day that I worked there, Somebody either is looking at me like, whoa, look at that, you know, or they'll actually come up and say, cool mask, something like that. So, yeah, it sucks to wear it, but have fun with it as much as you can. Let it be your nerd to the world there. There's a lot of people wearing disposable gloves, and they don't put them in the bin or anything. They just throw them on the floor. Yeah. Well, gloves themselves are an issue. We actually have places over here that say flat out, you are not coming in here if you're wearing gloves. All right. Well, the thing is, when you put gloves on, most people think, okay, I've got my gloves on, I'm protected. But they could be touching a lot of things that are, are you know, have a, the virus on them, mm -hmm. and or just germs in general. But because they figure, well, I've got the gloves on, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, they're not washing their hands with their gloves on. So they could actually be spreading it with the gloves on because they're figuring, well, I'm safe, but they could still be spreading it. So we've actually had places over here that say, uh-uh, take the gloves off. And most of the big stores and things here have a point where you can go in just inside the door and they've got uh, hand sanitizers and things yeah. that you can wash your hands before you go around the store. Mm -hmm. If the store's really thought about things, that's something they lay on. I know a lot of places are trying to implement that. Mm -hmm. They'll have sanitizers available. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. God, wear the mask. You know. Otherwise, hey, how are things with you? <laughs> Pretty good, actually. Um, <laughs> as you know, it was, it's been my birthday recently. It was my, my first lockdown birthday. Well, you know. Yeah, I couldn't go out anywhere. My other half, she uh, bought me some stuff online, which was cool. We had uh, takeout uh, mm -hmm. from a place I haven't used before. It was um, Smokey's Barbecue and Grill House. It was the most awesome burger I have had in a long while. Uh, God knows you love your your burgers because you're half American in that regard. <laughs> you love your Mountain Dew. You love your burgers and fries. Yeah. <laughs> there is this little space in the United Kingdom, which is kind of like the 51st state. And that, that is just this little apartment <laughs> right here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm still surprised that you had things like your McDonald's closed over there. All the fast food joints were open here. It's just that it was takeout or uh, curbside delivery only. But they were all open. Mm -hmm. For about half of the lockdown period, nothing was open. Wow. Okay, now that part sucks. The supermarkets and things like that were open, but mm -hmm. the queues to get in supermarkets. Oh, yeah, they were ridiculous. And when McDonald's opened the first time, wow, the queue to get in there. Don't doubt it. Oh, man, there was five-mile queues to get into Ikea. 
<laughs> oh boy, tell me you're being facetious on that one. I'm not. I'm serious. There was about what? four or five mile queues. Not. I don't mean people walking. You know, queuing up to walk in. I mean, yeah. it's going to get into the car park. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. Uh Oh, he's not lying, folks. <laughs> I'm looking at the uh, the Manchester Evening News, and yeah. The headline is IKEA shoppers in disbelief over five mile queues in the blistering heat as stores reopen. Yeah. Holy cow. What on earth do you need to queue up that long for from IKEA? It is not a life and death situation. Wow. And just the queues themselves of people going back and forth to get in line mm-hmm. sometimes takes up the entire parking lot. Sorry, car park. Wow. Okay, Ikea's cool and all, but really? Apart from when you get lost. See, we don't have one near us, so I've never been in one. Oh, man, they're a scary place to get lost in. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about getting lost. <laughs> We've got one in Baltimore and just outside of Philly. Those are about two hours away. Mm-hmm. So we could go to one, and I wouldn't mind it just to say, yeah, I was there. Oh, my God. I'm looking at another, uh, looks like it's out in Reading, and they're showing pictures of the IKEA out there with lines. Holy cow. Do you people not have online ordering? <laughs> oh, man. Wales is talking about it, and oh, wow, wow, wow. It was big news when that opened. That's crazy. <laughs> Shop online. Why is this a problem? Amazon had a major issues over here getting stuff. The only way that you could get anything within two days is if what you wanted to buy just so happened to be at your local Amazon warehouse. Yeah. Otherwise, it was like, no, sorry, we're going to be pushing this out like two to three weeks, which sucked. But at the same time, you could actually find other places online, smaller shops that could still have it to you in a few days. As I was saying today, we haven't been in one of the big supermarkets like your your Sainsbury's or your Tesco's or anything like that since lockdown started. And we've managed to survive okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, when this is all over, do we really need to do that? Exactly. Port your smaller shops if you can. Yeah. Like for me, I needed to get some uh, airbrushing stuff for my 3D models and so forth. And I found a couple of places online that had a better selection and better prices than Amazon. Okay, so I had to wait a few days to get it. Big deal. Unless it's now where I absolutely need to have it. It's like, oh crap, I ran out and this I need to get this done. To hell with it. I'll go back to the smaller shops. Mm-hmm. It does make you think now, doesn't it? That there mm-hmm. are other places you can get things from. Yeah. As long as they can get stuff to you, and I know they appreciate the business, then what does it matter if you get it in four days versus two days before we go into the main part of the show I, I wanted to mention something this is a tgp nominal special report you know i've been talking about uh, the field of force day Aylesbury events we've been having meetings and things earlier in the year and we announced the date that we were going to have this year's event and then it didn't happen for us for this year but the Field of Force Day Aylesbury event was supposed to take place on the 13th of June and um, we decided as a group that we were going to announce on that day a date for next year's event so that it kept it fresh in everybody's mind. So Field of Force Day Aylesbury is going to happen. It's going to happen next June on the 26th of June a venue to be confirmed I can't say any more than that at the moment but it gives us 
a nice lead time to get everything in place so yeah. we can do bigger and better than we originally wanted to do. So keep listening to TGP Nominal for updates and also keep going to the TGP Nominal Facebook page for updates because it's official that TGP Nominal is one of the hosts of the event. If you look on TGP Nominal's Facebook page and you look on the events section, you will see the details of Field of Force Day Aylesbury on there. So, yeah, um, I'm excited that it's still going to go ahead yep. and that the different parties that were involved in it still want the event to go ahead. Yep. So everyone is really inspired by it and wants it to happen. So, I think we should take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit about what this podcast originally started talking about right at the beginning, and that is space. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks, thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and space launch system rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the red planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. We are, by nature, explorers. The same curiosity that sends us to the stars at the speed of thought. Urges us to go there in reality. And whenever we make a great new leap, we elevate humanity, bring people and nations together, usher in new discoveries, and new technologies. So remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet. This is TGP Nominal. Right, so John. Yes. Before we go on to some of our stories and stuff, I think there's one thing we need to talk about. Demo 2 mission. Yeah, that was cool. That's That was one of those fingers crossed, fingers crossed. You know, I just keep having nightmares of uh, Challenger. 
stuff like that. And but yeah, I mean that was cool to just watch them in there with their touch screens and they're leaning back, just getting status updates, and then of course the little dinosaur floats by. Yeah. Tremor. <laughs> Tremor the dinosaur. Do you know those things are selling like hotcakes on eBay? <laughs> oh, I don't doubt it at all. <laughs> Actually, one of our uh, honorary crew members, uh, Janelle Harrier-Wilson, she's actually got one of them, and she uses it as a <laughs> teaching aid for her STEM teaching. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, but I also heard that SpaceX jacked up the price as soon as they realized what was going on. It's like, whoa, that's a jerk move, guys. I had a feeling they would do something like that, though. Mm. It was supposed to happen on the Wednesday, wasn't it? And yeah. uh, the weather was not favorable at all. Ryan Kobrick, another one of our uh, honorary crew members, he lives, well, put it this way, you can see launches from where he lives. Lucky. (laughs) (sighs) And uh, he opened his front door and the rain, oh my word, I've never seen rain like it. (laughs) And at that point I thought to myself, yeah, this isn't going to happen, not today. You know, Saturday came along. I had three screens of coverage. I had the NASA. I had the SpaceX. And I also had uh, the everyday astronaut coverage Mm -hmm. as well. Because sometimes the main ones can get a bit boring whilst you're waiting. But it wasn't this time. It was a bit like when I was a kid. Because I can remember sitting there with my granddad watching the original Columbia launch back in 81. And I had this, you know, I had goosebumps and, you know, had that feeling of the unexpected. And all those feelings came right back. And I've not felt anything like it since. We don't have any affiliation really with any of the parties, although we have collaborated with NASA in the past. But I'm thinking, why am I getting emotional about this? It was a, a weird thing. It was supposed to mean more to Americans than anything else. Mm. The way I was looking at it was the fact that this is the first time since 1981 that something new had launched from that historic mm. launch pad. That's the way I was looking at it. Yeah. That places, you know, memories for everybody um, regarding space launches. I know there was a lot of the... American astronauts, American soil, American rockets, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. But Yeah, the typical jingoism. I wasn't taking any of that in. I was just, you know, this is something new. This is something that undiscovered. This is history in the making, right in front of us right now. But the Wormless looks so space-age, doesn't it? It does. I, that's why I've always loved it. I've got nothing against the the meatball, but there's there's something about the logo that it looks retro yet futuristic at the same time and i've always loved it Mm -hmm. so yeah when they said it's coming back i was like yeah and of course i had to you know do a little internet side rib to a buddy of mine who doesn't like the worm logo it's like hey look at this ha 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 yeah it's it's fair they're gonna use both of them so we're good i was like uh when i was watching the 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 everjay astronaut um coverage you know, you know the, the the crew that make sure that they're okay and everything and make sure. sure they're in place. And they've got all the numbers on the back. And the SpaceX ones were all black, this black mm-hmm. uniform. It looked like something out of, um, you know, G.I. Joe Cobra. You know, it was that kind of right. 
thing, and they were calling them SpaceX Ninjas. Mm. <laughs> but the thing I loved about it was apparently when they were in the cars traveling towards the launch pad, they had um, ACDC blasting out of, out of the car, and their wake-up call was Black Sabbath. Morning, Dragon. We hope your evening aboard Endeavor was restful, and we are planning to resume all nominal communications at this time. How copy? Night on Endeavor, and uh, great to talk to you, Mike, and the team. Uh, and congratulations, by the way. Hopefully, the uh, new edition is doing well. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, young uh, Joseph Solomon is doing great. He's uh, at home, hopefully, letting his mom sleep a little bit. And uh, Doug, one more uh, piece of info for you, just uh, letting you know, cameras are going to remain external only during uh, this uh, post-sleep period. And we are standing by with the systems update and nominally planned for you after uh, you complete your post-sleep activities. That sounds good, Mike. Uh, we are uh, kind of putting things away right now, and uh, we'll give you a call back in a few minutes, and we can tag up then. How's that sound? Sounds great. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was fantastic. And they were giving those running commentaries whilst they were traveling towards the ISS. And they were going, let me show you around the, the capsule and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is like MTV Cribs, but, you know, NASA style. <laughs> it was neat to watch. I mean, any rocket launch is neat to watch. But I still want to smack NASA on the wrist for getting rid of the shuttle before they had anything else to send our folks up there. Yeah. If they had more faith in SpaceX earlier, this could have been interesting. I, I think we probably would have had um, crewed launches probably 2015. I mean, yeah, it's possible. <sighs> Whatever. It worked. They're up there. Don't know when they're coming back, though. It's, I think it's kind of weird that they haven't listed a time when uh, or a date when they're going to come back. Um, they kind of did. I think they said something like 110, no, 110 days or something like that, I think they said. But they've got some more going up before the end of the year because uh, a name from the past, uh, from the Japanese Space Agency, will be going up on the next one, uh, Suuchi Noguchi, mm -hmm. who was on the uh, STS-114, which was the return to flight, the, the discovery mission that was the, the first launch after the Columbia disaster right and uh, he was on that crew so it'll be exciting 
for these dragons to be truly international. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no reason why they couldn't have been in the first place. Although it is kind of cool that it's the first time that a, a private company has launched people like that. Yeah. That's amazing. That right there is kind of like, wow. <laughs> well, that is the weird thing, that NASA is the customer. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hey, SpaceX has proven themselves, so... You know, what what choice really did NASA have at this point? Mm-hmm. It, it just goes to prove that things are changing. Yeah, but I think it's safe to say that a lot of the smaller startups were bolstered by the fact that, hey, look, at SpaceX can do it, so can we. And maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but it seems like if SpaceX didn't come around like they did, we might not have as many startups. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think it would have happened as quickly. I mean, what they've achieved, what is it, 15 years? Let's find out. 18 years. Founded on May 6th of 2002. Holy cow, SpaceX is almost 20 years old? Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, we're old. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow. And we've been following them since pretty much the word go. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. The one story that seems to keep getting... Well, it always seems to have bad news and good news. And that's the old... uh, James Webb Space Telescope. I had a feeling that's what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. So its current launch date was supposed to be March 2021. Not going to happen now, although not necessarily for the reasons that that you might think. The blame in this case is being put on COVID-19. So there were a couple of positive cases throughout various, you know, NASA and and, uh, Northrop Grumman and so forth. But really what it came down to is that when things got shut down, they lost the people who could do testing and so forth. So yeah, so they came out with a statement that it will not launch in March at all. They're sure of that. And again, it's not because anybody did anything wrong. It's simply because that when COVID-19 hit and things got shut down, well, they lost people. So Northrop Grumman went down from two shifts six days a week to one shift five days a week. So they were operating at like 40% of their normal personnel. So testing and things of that nature, they, they couldn't really do it. They're very optimistic that it will launch sometime next year, but definitely not March at this point. So there's the bad news. But the good news is that their tower extension test was a success. So it's pretty much been assembled And what they have done is they've tested what's called the deployable tower assembly. So what that does is it separates the observatory that houses the mirrors and so forth with the lower section, which holds the electronics and the repulsion systems and so forth. So that allows cooling basically to take place because the electronics and propulsion systems generate heat, which is what they don't want. So... The problem is it has to fit inside the 17.8 foot or 5.8 meter payload fairing. But when it's fully expanded, it can't do that. So they basically have to kind of compress it a little bit. And then once it's up in space, then they will eventually have everything open up. You know, you've you've seen that before with solar panels. Yeah. You know, the solar panels have to open up after they get to their destination because otherwise you, you can't launch with solar panels open. Same thing with this one. Except this will expand it so that the optics will be separate from the heat-generating electronics. And that test was successful. At least that's a good thing for James Webb. And who was it that told us that they would keep testing until... 
basically they would just keep testing if given the option. That was uh, Eric Smith, who was then the the, the project director. <laughs> yeah, they had to make it fit inside the Ariane 5 rocket, and this is one of the ways they're going to do it. So that test was at least successful. So they got a bit of bad news, a bit of good news for James Webb. Hopefully it will still launch next year. As you know, and most people know, um, Stephen Colbert is a bit of a geek when it comes to space-related stuff. And um, a little while ago, it was um, just after lockdown, actually, he had one of the astronauts that were up on the space station on the show. Um, he actually phoned into the uh, International Space Station and he spoke to Jessica Mir, who was up there at the time. Have a listen to this. I'm so excited right now, as you can tell, because my next guest is a NASA astronaut speaking to us from the International Space Station. Please welcome Jessica Mir. Jessica, thanks so much for being here. Hello, you're very, very welcome. Jessica, everyone here on Earth has had their lives disrupted by the coronavirus, but you're not on Earth. What is it like to experience the global pandemic from orbit? It has been very surreal to experience this, to watch this situation unfold on the ground of this global pandemic. And it has felt really surreal because we're up here going about our normal day. The whole issue has been pretty transparent to us because our ground teams, although of course their lives are affected, it is really a seamless transition in continuing to get our jobs done up here. We're talking to our family and friends and we're watching the news feed. So it's a little bit difficult for us to believe that we are truly going back to a different planet. We were really the only three humans that were not subjected to that at the t at the current time. Billions of humans, everybody was dealing with this in some way or another, and the three of us weren't. So it was very strange to see it all unfold. A lot of people back on Earth are having trouble dealing with social isolation. I understand that astronauts are trained to deal with isolation. Do you have any advice for the people back home who maybe are getting cabin fever? Yeah, we've actually been posting some of our advice on social media, and I think some of the things that help us up here are to continue to get our daily exercise, to keep to a schedule and a routine. Those things are important for both our mental and our physical well-being, to make sure that we're playing, playing nicely with others, to treat each other well, kindly, with respect, and to get along well, and, and also just to keep having a little bit of fun as well. I think that's very important for your psychological well-being. So every now and then we try to keep things light, maintain our senses of humor. All of those things really help us function together as a, as a happy team living in isolation. Now, you mentioned exercise, and uh, I, I have to ask, have you been running on the Colbert treadmill in the space station? Absolutely. I was just on the Colbert treadmill a few hours ago. There's still a picture of you on it, and we actually do that almost every day. We weight lift every day, and we either bike or run on the treadmill every day. It's very important for us to maintain our bone density and our muscle mass, so you are a regular part of our daily routine, Stephen. It is a profound honor to know that. Thank you, Jessica. Now, as you said, you, you, um, you have to be good roommates together. Um, do you have any advice on how not to annoy the people that you're trapped uh, alone with for months on end? 
Yeah, we even have a buzzword for that at NASA, and it's called expeditionary skills. And this is something that is very important in terms of how we select astronauts and how we train them as well. And there are a lot of key elements to that. First of all, in terms of teamwork, there's good leadership and good followership, of course, effective communication strategies, taking care of yourself and all of your equipment and supplies. That can be quite a challenge up here when things are floating around and you're using all the services around you. And also being a good team player, taking care of each other. I like to think of it of all the things that parents tell their children, how to play nicely with others, or also the kind of people that I would want to go camping with. All of those features are really important, and I think it's a, it's a great thing to know that that's how we select our astronauts these days. Because we have all of these long-duration missions, we actually don't just pick someone who's the top of their field or the, the ace jet pilot. If they're also not a good person and someone you like to be around, somebody that makes uh, the stay a little bit more pleasant, then you actually won't get selected to be an astronaut anymore, which makes us a, a, a better team and makes it a lot more fun up here. Jessica, would you recommend space to other people? Absolutely. We feel so fortunate to be among the few people that have been up here, and I wish that I could share it with everybody. That's one of the goals of my mission, is to try and share it with as many people as possible, because I think it is just so important to have this privilege to be up here, to be looking down at the planet from up here. It really does change your perspective as a human, and I think it would be very important for the rest of the human race to experience that as well. That was cool. <laughs> the fact that they were the only three people in the human race probably that wasn't affected mm -hmm. by this whole situation and I've just got this image about playing nicely you know don't do that go to your room <laughs> you <know? laughs> it, it does make you think of things in a different perspective and she did actually make some interesting points about how to deal with being in this situation and it because yeah. they do they spend a lot of time in isolation up there so for the astronauts it's second nature and you know it's kind of funny because <laughs> for how many years did people say that you know oh you know playing video games is wasting your time blah 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 well you know for those of us where that's what we do a lot of this whole thing really hasn't been that big of a deal because <laughs> we just keep playing video games <laughs> was, what was I saying at the beginning? They were saying something, those things like um, all the things that our forefathers had to do to survive, and all you've got to do is sit on the sofa. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. But, you know, when, when we're used to everything being instant gratification and or maybe, you know, two-day delivery or, or, or things of that nature, all of a sudden it's like, oh, boy, this is rough. No, it's not rough just it's inconvenient but just chill out yeah there, there is inconvenience to it and I, I imagine if people that don't deal with inconveniences because of you know that they they are so used to things in a set way i'm talking about people that might be on the spectrum and things like that sure sure, uh, sure, sure that sure. must be so difficult for them and uh, you know, I've got a lot of time for these people because they've had to find ways to get around this. And on the whole, people have. Oh no, definitely. What you're saying is an issue. Uh, do you remember? Are you familiar with the name Asia Carrera? Uh, yes, I know the name. Yeah, her son Devin is autistic, and she posted a picture on her Facebook feed the one time. He couldn't take the isolation anymore, and he totally destroyed. Uh, one of the doors of the house with a hammer. Wow. Yeah, it, the, the door was in pieces when, when he was done with it. 
So I, I completely understand those who, and even those who are used to going out, they're, they're very social, they're very outgoing. And now suddenly it's like, I can't go anywhere. And I get it. I mean, I understand that that's no fun. Cabin fever's a thing. It's stir-crazy, isn't it? Yeah. We, we were okay here because all of us have our own PCs. The kids play their video games. I play my video games. I've got my 3D printing. We do like to go out every now and then, and that was a bit inconvenient to not be able to go out to dinner or whatever. You know, Summer's here, and the local uh, you know Hershey Park's not open. So... Yeah, that, that stuff gets a little bit on the eh, side. But otherwise, you know, people like us, we're fine. But I get it for the people who, who like to go out and they can't handle, you know, they can't handle cabin fever. I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a bit tough here because, I mean, I'm in an apartment, which is quite small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't say I'm looking at the same four walls all the time. But, uh, you know, it's it's been tough on that score not being able to see people i'm glad i managed to sort out a skype link with my mum and dad because that gave me an opportunity to make mm-hmm. sure that they're okay because i was worried specifically about my mum because she has um copd oh yeah copd is bad that, that's not yeah, good it's seriously bad so she's on the uh what they call the shielded list she hasn't been able to go out at all uh, and she still can't go out until the middle of july your family still got hit with it was it your brother-in-law uh yeah he's getting through it he was on a ventilator for about four weeks oh my god he's not on a ventilator now he's now in a rehab center to, to wow he wasn't able to walk he's now gone from a wheelchair to on sticks he's only over the last three weeks been able to eat solid food holy cow so this did more than damage his lungs then didn't it yeah home where your masks, people. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. My cousin, who's a paramedic, before the lockdown started and before they had to wear PPE and stuff like that, he went to an emergency call for an old lady who had the symptoms of COVID. And within two days, she died. Oh, man. And, and my cousin started to get um, symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he put himself in self-isolation for two weeks. He's recently had to go off work because of other reasons. Uh, I won't go into that now. But um, he uh, was off work for a month under a counsellor. And on his return to work, he had to have a COVID test. And it came back positive for oh, antibodies, man. which doesn't mean that he's got it. He did have the virus, though. But he can put that back to that time when that old lady had it and died. So he actually got it from her. Mm. So he's now got the antibodies in his system, which means that his immune system is probably coping. My sister-in-law also got it, but not the massive strain of it like her husband had it. She's now working back for the NHS. She's now doing a job that she can do from home. Cool. So that makes things a bit easier. She's only been able to see him within the last couple of weeks. Wow. Before that, she wasn't able to see him at all. So I can't imagine what was going through her mind. Uh, but yeah, he's getting stronger and stronger by the day. And as I say, he's at a, a rehab center and hopefully he'll be coming home soon. Wow. I can only imagine what permanent damage has been done. Mm. He um, suffers from asthma too. And that's one of the main yeah. reasons why it hit him harder than... Um, it would do normally 
Right. But he's been through a lot in his life anyway. He had a brain tumour. And uh, he got through that, and I thought, well, if he's strong enough to get through that, then he's strong enough to get through this. Right. Well, the problem is what a lot of people don't realize. They think, oh, it's just a bad case of the flu. No. For those people who have serious complications, your immune system goes on a scorched earth process, and it will destroy. It says, hey, this thing is in here. We need to get rid of it. It will destroy everything, including healthy cells to try to get rid of this virus. So for the people who have, have who have died from it and who have been severely damaged by it, the immune system goes crazy, goes on a scorched earth policy and destroys every cell it can find to try to destroy this virus. You know, so no, it's not just the flu if it triggers your immune system to destroy itself. And people need to get over that and wear the damn mask. Have you heard of a company called Astro Live Experiences. No. Or Ale. <laughs> really? This company is a, it's a Tokyo-based company, and they were going to make the first ever artificial meteor shower. What? They plan to generate shooting stars with its Ale 2 satellite, which launched into orbit on December last year uh, on top of uh, a rocket lab electron booster hmm. the 165 pounds or 75 kilo spacecraft is packed with 400 0.4 inch wide or one centimeter spheres which are designed to blaze in brilliant colors when they burn up in the atmosphere of the earth yeah. but the company has announced that the al2 will be unable to deploy the spheres at the moment Testing and analysis have uh, revealed that one of the parts that is supposed to launch the particles is not moving properly, and then it cannot get back to its designated position. That could be bad. The vacuum of space causes friction forces to be higher than they are here on Earth, and materials can stick together more easily as a result. Analysis indicate that the specific effect of space is greater than predicted and that there are distinct possibilities that the required force for action is higher than the design value, which basically means, now we can't do it at this point. So they're going to be running some more tests and um, things. So they've still got communications with it, but they're just going to try and get it to dislodge. They are scheduling to launch another satellite in 2022 and begin operations in 2023. We will definitely succeed next time. So they've got this thing flying around. It can't do what they wanted it to do. So they're sending up another one. <laughs> the ALCEO Lena Okajima said in a statement, I hope you will continue to support us in this venture. The company envisions staging sky shows for big events such as the Olympic Games opening ceremonies. Can you imagine that opening ceremonies with these meteor showers of different <laughs> colours going over? I'm sure it'd look cool if it worked. Oh yeah, definitely. The artificial shooting stars will travel far more slowly through the Earth's atmosphere than real meteors and will therefore remain visible for a lot longer, about mm. um, 3 to 10 seconds apiece. The light-generating pellets won't pose a threat to people on the ground or planes in the air. The little spheres are designed to burn up within 37 to 50 miles or 60 to 80 kilometres above the Earth's surface. If there's anybody listening out there from the UK Astronomy Facebook group, I'd love to hear what you think of this. Hi, it's Ross from UK Astronomy here. So, man-made shooting stars. 
What a crazy idea. I love it. Absolutely love it. It is madness <laughs> using elements to burn different colours up in the atmosphere and actually throw little balls down at us. Said so, so I'm not sure astrophotographers are going to like it, but you know, if companies clock on to the idea, there could be sort of man-made shooting stars or meteor showers all over the world. Uh, let's just hope there's no clouds when it happens, eh? Since lockdown, the membership of that Facebook group has gone from about 3,000 people to 10,000 people. Wow. People are buying telescopes Yeah. because of lockdown. Well, it's the same thing with 3D printers. I've got two for the whole face shield thing. Actually, did we talk about that last time? Because I was asking you whether you wanted any funding for it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, that that's now all done. Um, basically, the commercial grade stuff has finally met demand. So makers are just like, okay, well, there's nothing for us to do. In fact, the, the couple who released the plans for the shield that I was making, they sent an email out last week that said, yeah, we're done. You know, there's there's no reason for us to do this anymore. But yeah, I was finally done after making 1,010 of them. I'll take it. I'll take it. I had four printers. They were all going 24-7 pretty much, just churning that stuff out. Two of them are a, uh, from a company called Creality. Uh, two of them are from a, I don't know if they're just the U.S. called uh, Monoprice. But the Creality group, there were a lot of people bitching on the Facebook group for Creality about how they, they placed orders and they weren't receiving anything over a month. And it's simply because people were stuck at home. And so it's like, well, we want to do something. We're getting so bored out of our minds, blah, blah, blah. Hey, that 3D printer is cheap. We wanted to do that. Let's, let's get one. So 3D printers were getting hard to find for a while. Wow. For the exact same, you know, same thing. People are getting bored. So, all right, telescope, you know, if they want to look up into space or 3D printing, if they want to make stuff of their own, it, it's been interesting. This kind of blew my mind. Obviously, satellites, yeah, they're big, but they're not huge. Somebody posted a video that he did of, you know, one of those long exposure shots of uh, video of the Milky Way going across the sky and so forth. And he said that if you look closely, you could actually see geosynchronous satellites up there i was like come on there's no they're too far away those things are like over twenty thousand miles away how are you going to see this thing twenty thousand miles away glowing up in the sky but sure enough you watch his video and when you see it it's only there for a little bit but you just see this one dot fade in stay put and then fade out wow so like, you've got to be kidding me but yeah so you can even see geosynchronous satellites up there it's crazy how far is the Hubble out in orbit? That's out there a good distance. You can actually see that if the conditions are right. Yeah. I mean, James Webb is going even further out than that. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Hubble is... That's not nearly as far as I thought it was. That's only about 340 miles out. That's nothing compared to the geostationary satellites. But when you put it into perspective, how high up... You, you, what was that, 300... 340 miles, roughly 550 kilometers. So when you're talking that the space station is, what, two, 250-ish? Something like that, yeah. So there's, n there's not a great deal of distance between the two, really, when you think about it. Space station is 254 miles. Yeah. So it's not that much distance between that and Hubble. No, there's not. Only about 83 miles. <laughs> Ooh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, at least it's still cool. I've got an app, especially if it's like 7, 8 o'clock at night, just after the sun goes down, 
And uh, I'm like, space station's going to pass over. And it's like, all of my kids are outside. They want to see it. That's a cool feeling. Really popular in the group as well. NASA's next rover for Mars, called the Perseverance, by the time people hear this, it should have already been assembled. It's supposed to be mated to its Atlas V rocket today as we record this. This is taking place at Kennedy Space Center inside the Payload Hazardous Servicing Facility. Uh, thankfully, there doesn't seem to be an acronym for that. But the backshell-powered descent vehicle and entry vehicle assemblies are now attached to Perseverance, and that's all supposed to be now attached to the Atlas V rocket. So we got another rover on the way, hopefully. And and also, to do with the rover, the helicopter mm-hmm. been attached, and like the rover, which was named Perseverance, a secondary school yep. pupil named it, a kid called Alexander Mathers. Uh, he did an essay, which they were quite impressed with at NASA, and that's why it was called Perseverance, although... Some of the engineers are calling it Percy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's no different than calling Opportunity Oppie. Yeah. They were so impressed with some of these uh, essays that were sent in by these kids that they decided to use some of them in a competition to name the helicopter. Oh, nice. This is the moment that the news was broken to the girl that uh, won the competition. Ingenuity represents the most remarkable things that humanity is capable of. These achievements are not just the product of pure determination, they are a combination of human perseverance and ingenuity. Hi, Vanessa. My name is Mimi Ong. I work at uh, NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, and my job there is a project manager for Mars Helicopter. Mars Helicopter is a technology demonstration flight experiment that uh, Mars 2020 Perseverance uh, rover is hosting. And we're going for the attempt at flying the first ever flight on another planet. So uh, I've been really excited about this phone call to talk to you because I'm getting to share with you the news that your proposed name has been chosen as the name for Mars helicopter. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) So, On behalf of our entire Mars helicopter team, I'd like to thank you for our name for our Mars helicopter, Ingenuity. It's the perfect name for us. We really, we love the name, so thank you. Thank you, guys. Ingenuity is what allows people to accomplish amazing things, and it allows us to expand our horizons to the edges of the universe. So, yeah, ingenuity. And it's just a cute little square with a couple of propeller blades on it. Yeah. So the the young girl there, is, uh, her name was uh, Vanessa Rapani, and she's a junior at the Tuscaloosa County High School in Northport, Alabama. Yep. She was one of the 28,000 entries. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Ingenuity has been in the works for six years, but now it's been attached to the underside of the rover, well, it will remain for the long journey to the Red Planet. Ingenuity is flying as a technological demonstration mission, getting it to Mars and getting it there safely off the vehicle. We're going to learn a lot from this, said mm-hmm. uh, Matt Wallace, the deputy project manager for the Mars 2020 mission. But we're going to take it one flight at a time. The Perseverance rover and the uh, Ingenuity helicopter are scheduled to launch 
Uh, I think it's July 20th, but the launch window will continue right through to August the 11th. Now, as you know, missions to other worlds have become celestial time capsules because of the onboard items created to commemorate the mission. The Perseverance rover is no different because members of the engineering team have installed a plate on the left side of the rover chassis commemorating the impact of COVID-19 pandemic and paying tribute to the perseverance of the healthcare workers around the world. Made of aluminium, the 3x5-inch or 8x13-centimetre plaque was attached to the rover in May 2020 during the final assembly at Kennedy Space Centre. And I'll put a picture in the show notes of the plaque so that people can have a look at that. So, yeah, there's more involved with this Perseverance rover than I originally thought. Yeah. I'm curious, do they have any plans for what it's going to test? I mean, it's, it's going to be, if it's so small that it can fit underneath the rover, not going to have a lot of room for instrumentation. I think they're just testing it to see whether a helicopter can work. Yeah. And then if it does work successfully, then they'll send something else up there, probably a bit right. bigger. <laughs> so weren't they talking about something similar to this for Venus as well? Uh, yes, they were. I thought we covered that. Yeah, we did. We have covered that. We've pretty much covered most of the new discoveries for uh, vehicles to go on other worlds. <laughs> well, it would be kind of cool if we could you know, take this stuff. Granted, Mars has a much friendlier atmosphere for stuff like this, but... If this works, start sending that stuff up to you know Venus and have it fly around. Obviously, the the atmosphere on that makes it quite hostile, but that'd be kind of cool. Not that I have anything against Mars, but we've already got a number of rovers and so forth out there. I'd like to see us do some of the, the other planets. I, I want us to see us do some of those water-based moons. If there's any particular life, that's where it will be. Yeah, and get an orbiter around Pluto, please, planet or otherwise. Oh, yeah. I know that they're, they're looking at that. Last I heard that, I mean, you know how NASA does its proposals and it will have a whole bunch of people saying, hey, these are the kind of missions we'd like to do. And then NASA will look at them, I think it's every other year, mm -hmm. and decide, okay, these are the ones we're going to fund. And I know that there's at least one out there for a Pluto orbiter. That'd be really cool, especially while Pluto's still in people's mindsets. Talking of Mars, the first Arab space mission to Mars is preparing to launch to the Red Planet. It's called Amal, which means hope in Arabic. The robot craft is due to lift off from a remote Japanese island called uh, Taniga Shima during a narrow launch window on July the 14th. Now, the program's scientific lead, Sarah Al-Amiri, said that the project should be a major incentive for young Arab scientists to embark on a career in space engineering. Powered by a Japanese rocket, it will be carrying three types of sensors for measuring the complex makeup of Mars's atmospheres. These include a high-resolution multiband camera for measuring the planet's dust and ozone, 
The second will be an infrared spectrometer, which we use for measuring the lower atmosphere, uh, which was co-developed with Arizona State University, one of the project's three US partner universities. The third will be an ultraviolet spectrometer for measuring oxygen and hydrogen levels. Ms. Alamiri said that one of the focuses of the research will be into how these two elements essential for water are escaping from the planet. The spacecraft was assembled in Colorado and shipped to Japan where all its engineers immediately had to go into quarantine due to the coronavirus pandemic threatening the delay to the launch. Monica Grady, Professor of Planetary and Space Science at the Britain's Open University believes that this Mars mission marks a major change in the industry previously dominated by major powers of the world. She says it's a real step forward to Mars exploration because it shows that the other nations, rather than the European Space Agency and NASA, can actually go there. Well, we hope it will get there because Mars has a very long history of mission failures. She's absolutely right. But, I mean, at the same time, it was built in the U.S. and it was collaborated with the University of Colorado, the University of California, and Arizona State University. It's going to be launched on a Japanese rocket. Uh, Unless the the actual experiments on board had some kind of involvement with the Emirates, I don't see their involvement apart from paying for it. But you know what? Hey, if that's enough to inspire kids in that area to, to get into space and astronomy... More power to them. Provided it does reach Mars, hope will arrive on the red planet in the same year that the United Arab Emirates celebrates its 50 years since founding as a nation in 1971. Certainly, no one could accuse the country of lacking ambition because it's also vowed to build a human settlement on Mars by 2117. 2117? Okay, well, well, they got plenty of time to work on that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, talking about all this, I wonder... Wouldn't that area of the world actually be a good spot for a spaceport? On one of those little islands that they've got, those man-made islands. Oh, I mean, any place really in the UAE. Yeah, I guess it would be because it's a lack of anything around it. Yeah. If there was an issue. Yeah, if there was an issue, you know, or if they're right there, launch it, obviously, depending on where it's supposed to go, but send it more over the uh, Indian Ocean. Yeah. But it is interesting to see countries like that getting involved. I mean, I know they have had uh, astronauts go to the International Space Station from mm-hmm. from the Emirates. Yeah. So, I mean, they've always had a big involvement in space-related things. Yeah, they've definitely got the money to do it. <laughs> Any new entries for space, that that's totally welcome here. Speaking of which, small launch startup vehicle Astra is going to make another attempt to reach orbit next month Mm -hmm. after failing to do so with a DARPA launch competition earlier this year. So, I don't know if you remember earlier this year, DARPA had a launch challenge where they wanted companies to be able to launch a rocket, get it up there, and have another one up there in less than 30 days. So there were a couple of companies that expressed an interest, but only three companies actually were chosen to try and do this. One was Astra. Another one was Vector, which dropped out because, well, they ran into some financial problems and eventually went bankrupt and went into liquidation. Kind of hard to launch a rocket when your company is no longer existing. 
Uh, the other one was Virgin Orbit. They bowed out because they wanted to focus on their core business. So all that was left was Astra. And I remember watching this because they were about to launch, but then they had to scrub it after less than a minute before liftoff because they had data problems from the rocket's guidance, navigation, and control systems. Obviously, nobody was able to win that DARPA challenge because of it, but they said that they are going to make another attempt to reach orbit anyway they're hoping the launch will be July 20th from the Pacific Spaceport Complex on Kodiak Island in Alaska. Although they didn't say the specific time, but they do say that they'll have a window between the 20th and the 25th. So there you go. Hopefully we'll have yet another company making it up into space. We're going to have to wait to see until next month. And we got news also of China. Uh, they're aiming to complete work on its space station within about two years, official says, after the launch of their new spacecraft in May. The country launched their new Long March 5 heavy lift rocket from the Wangchung Launch Center. I nearly said Wangchung. with an unmanned spacecraft and return capsule. The capsule is reportedly to be based around the Russian Soyuz model and can carry six astronauts instead of three. That does not surprise me in the least that it's based on the Russian. No, not at all. (laughs) China eventually plans to send four crewed space missions and cargo craft to complete work on its permanent space station. China's space program has developed rapidly since its first crewed mission in 2003, including achieving a milestone last year by landing a spacecraft on the far side of the moon, which I had to correct because this article said the dark side of the moon. No, no, that's not how it works. Stop listening to your Pink Floyd when you're writing your news articles. Although China has sought cooperation with space agencies in Europe and elsewhere, it's actually banned from the space cooperation due to the US national security concerns that has kept the country out of the International Space Station. China's experimental space station crashed into the Pacific Ocean but now plans to build a larger facility. China is also planning missions to Mars later this summer along with the US and the United Arab Emirates. The spaceship can only be launched to Mars every two years to take advantage of the best possible lineup between Earth and its neighbouring planet. So, yeah, the Chinese space agency has got big plans. Yeah, that annoys me, though, that they were blocked from helping. I mean, if we can do things together with, at the time, Soviet Russia, which was, of course, the big bad during the Cold War, we're not really at a Cold War with China, so why were they blocked? Exactly. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if we could work together with Russia, we could work together with China for this. Can you imagine what the space station would have been like having the involvement of the Chinese space agency as well? Yeah. So I don't blame them for going off and doing it on their own, both as a, not that they had much choice, but also as a big, you know, thumbing their nose to the uh, U.S. government for saying, huh, see, we're doing it anyway. And it sounds like they've also invited the European Space Agency along. If they want to get involved with the program, they can. Yeah. And why wouldn't they? A study was published a few days ago that says that the Milky Way might hold 6 billion Earth-like worlds. Say what? Obviously, this is, uh, wow. (laughs) They claim that there might even be as many as 36 intelligent alien races within the Milky Way. 
intelligent enough to stay away from us. That's a great Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. Paraphrasing it is that the surest sign of that there's intelligent life elsewhere is that none of it has tried to contact us. <laughs> so a new paper was published in the Astronomical Journal. Researchers used data from the Kepler Space Telescope, since planet hunting is its thing. And they did a bunch of you know, number crunching and so forth. And based on what they can find regarding where Earth is in our solar system, you know, distance-wise from the sun, the, the habitable zone, and what they've found on other stars with potentially rocky worlds in those habitable zones, they say that there might be six billion Earth-like worlds just in our galaxy. Wow. They said that uh, the odds of an Earth-like planet existing around a given star is roughly 18% or one out of every five stars of a type that would be suitable for life. Uh, Then you multiply that by the number of those stars believed to exist, and you get the figure of 6 billion. That 0.18 is like the upper limit. That's why they're saying could host up to 6 billion Earth-like worlds. I mean, I haven't found anything else on it. I don't know how much this was subject to peer review. But, I mean, you and I have said... What are the chances that we are the only habitable planet in this entire universe, as some people like to claim? Yeah. So, no, sorry, not buying that one for a second. Too many stars, too many opportunities for planets to have a habitable area. Now, whether they actually have life, that's a totally different issue. And it's defining what you mean by life as well. Yeah. But still, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more study done on this one. Again, I don't know how much scrutiny that report was already put under. It's probably going to be put under a lot more. But still, I think that's, you know, considering that they took the data from Kepler, you never know. Maybe there's actually a a decent amount of validity to it. Speaking of alien worlds and possibly alien life, the grandfather, the big granddaddy of distributed computing projects, SETI at Home, has shut down. I used to run that back in the day, you know, have the screensaver, watching it crunching all the data and so forth. But for anyone who doesn't know, SETI at Home, it was called the Distributed Computing Project. And what it would do is whenever, say, your screensaver mode kicked in back in the day when we actually used screensavers, it would take data from the Arecibo uh, radio telescope and it would analyze it using your computer's CPU power to see if it could identify anything that might be an alien civilization signal. You know what it is, so you saw it actually doing the crunching of the data and so forth. So you had that display on the screen where you could see how it interpreted the signal and and all that. I mean, to us, it really didn't mean much, and it might have simply been for show. But it was cool to see all this data being processed, and it would let you know when that signal was received. So you could have been analyzing data from years before. And, you know, it would tell you how much it has to go before it would download the next one. And then it would would crunch that data and send it back saying, hey, these are the results. And then it would download the latest one. But, I mean, I I remember seeing that, like, Sun Microsystems had server farms dedicated to this. Ridiculous amounts of, of power being put into this. But one of the things that it has is that right now they have so much data from the SETI at Home project that they've basically said it, it doesn't make any sense for us to get any more because we've already got so much data that we have to further analyze that they've effectively shut it down. But one of the things that this did was it opened the door to other projects uh, because it used what was called the Berkeley Open Infrastructure for Network Computing, or BOINK. I, I even remember from when we had to upgrade it from a regular client 
to the Boink client in order to keep doing this. That's going back several years. So what that did was Boink was like the, the main architecture for it, and then SETI at Home became a plug-in for Boink. But what that allowed to happen was other projects could also have their own. So right now there's a project called Folding at Home, which is trying to analyze the key proteins of the COVID-19 virus. What happens is the proteins latch on to other proteins on the, on the surface of our cells, which is what allows them to infect us. So what they're trying to do is use things like folding at home to find out how those proteins work, how they latch onto it, and not so much that a vaccine could come from it, but if they realize how COVID-19 or the virus reacts with our cells, it could do things like allow us to generate molecules that would trick it so that it won't bind to our cells, it would bind to some kind of false cells, like a decoy. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that these at-home projects do, and a lot of them deal with folding proteins and other diseases, not just COVID-19. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of other things out there, and all you do is, you're not using your computer, let the at-home project take care of it and, and use up your, you know, your extra CPU or GPU, if you've got a good video card, and let it do the science. And then it's like, okay, this bit of data is analyzed, send me a new one. And it just keeps doing that. But SETI at Home, which really is the one that started all of this off, it's now down because they have all the data that they really can process right now. Wow. I remember doing this like 20 years ago. This has been going on for a long time. And I do remember seeing that I would get data sets from like five years before, six years before. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. But yeah, so... No more SETI at home. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that the, the search for life outside of Earth isn't going to happen. I wish we could find signs of intelligent life here. That seems to be a struggle anymore. But <laughs> that's good because now it just means that people who do the at home or were doing SETI at home can now dedicate their resources to other projects like folding at home. You've heard of Kerbal Space Program? Yeah. They've actually now integrated the Ariane 5, and real ESA missions into the game. I've read about this. I, I need to get into to the program, I think. You have to make sure you have like a real good mind for physics, because that's what this is. You, know, you have to put in all of the variables to try to get a successful launch and orbit and all that stuff. So if you're not good with that kind of physics and, and number crunching, good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Because I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube of when people are trying to explain how different rocket programs work, mm -hmm. they use the Kerbal program yeah. to bring it to the everyday person. Yeah. My one friend used to teach aerodynamics in schools, and they'd use that. They would actually use it because it's that accurate. Yeah, it's really good. I, I know what it's like, so I'm kind of like, uh, they probably have some, some way to dumb it down for people like me. But still, it's like, wow, I don't know. I'm too busy doing my 3D printing stuff, though, I guess. There's my excuse to not be embarrassed by it. <laughs> <laughs> the update isn't out. When is it? I think it's coming out July 1st. Right. It's not an expensive program either. No, that's what I was saying. It seems quite reasonable. Uh, let me see. On Steam. Oh, actually, it's 40 bucks. I didn't think it was that expensive. Still not that bad, really. No, it's not. And there are Steam sales all over the place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, they also made it cute because the Kerbal Space Program, well, the Kerbals are little aliens. So, you know, you, you, they've got a lot of humor and, and cutesiness to it. 
Maybe someday, maybe someday I'll play with it. Some friends of mine have tried and they said, man, if you have it on the realistic mode, it's hard. Because all of those variables come into play. Yeah, so now I mean, you could actually run ESA missions and you know integrate the Ariane rockets into it. That's pretty cool. That is a pretty cool idea. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, John. Sir. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, it's good for us to finally get in the you know get the show back up and running again. That was annoying. It was a bit of a nightmare, but you know, by the time everything got sorted out with the problems we had, we didn't really have much time to get a show out last month, so uh so last month we just had the TTP nominal extra and that was about it. So uh, it, not too bad. We did have another episode of the tap room went out. What I'm planning on doing as well is revamping some of the old garbage pod episodes because some of our newer audience haven't heard a lot of this stuff. So uh, it would be good for them to hear. Oh, that's one thing I wanted to say as well before we go. If you go on to our podcast pages uh, and you try and listen to some of our old episodes via the player that is on the website, you may find that it no longer lets you play them. This is because uh, this is a, a player from our old podcasting host or distributor. Um, so it won't let you play them anymore. I am working through them to try and put the new player on board each episode. But you've got to remember, we've been going since 2014. So there's a lot of episodes yeah. for me to change it over. But it will get done. Uh, if you still do want to listen to it, I mean, there are other places where you can listen to it. Pretty much anywhere that you get your or you're listening to your podcasts from, you can listen to some of the old episodes on there. But uh, yeah, just bear with us if you want to listen to them from the website. It will get done. <laughs> yeah. So that leaves me with one thing to say, and that is thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, people. Just please stay safe. And we'll speak to you again real soon. WTGP now concludes its broadcast for today. Thanks for listening. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.
I can't talk. Me talk goodly.